0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different.
1: Hey, I want to welcome all of you that are watching this or maybe you're listening to this podcast later. Uh, thanks so much for joining us for Leadership Night here at Summit Church. Uh, it's our privilege for you to join us and for you to be a part of And if you're new to leadership night, basically what we do is we want to take some leadership principles and talk about them and uh, work through those together. And then we do some Q&A. And so we talk through those questions. And uh, I love hearing from you guys, not just questions, but some of the responses as well. And there's a lot of value there. And so our hope is that we can help you grow your leadership, uh, no matter what your role may be in life, Uh, maybe you're the CEO of a company, um, or maybe you're a mom or dad and you wanna lead your family better. And my hope is that the principles we talk through are applicable no matter what your organization size uh, or department size. Uh, And so just so you know, um, that's what what tonight is about. Um, And so uh, if you've got friends, even if they're unbelievers, if they don't go to church, uh, my hope is that these principles are principles that they can apply and grow their leadership. Uh, a couple things, let me, before I jump into our talk for the evening, a couple things I want to mention to you. I read a really good article this last week on Harvard Business Review. It was called uh, The Surprising Power of Questions, and it just talked about the power of questions in our interactions, in our personal life, but then the power of questions even in leadership roles um, and how it how it impacts the people we lead, how it impacts us. And so we're not gonna talk about that, but I really liked that article. And so if you have a chance, uh, you can find that uh, Harvard Business Review, the uh, surprising power of questions. Um, Let me tell you about next month as well. Uh, Mark your calendar for May the 4th. So Leadership Night is always the first Wednesday night of every month. Uh, and so May the 4th is our next one, and there's some Star Wars nerds I'm sure that are already making plans. We're not gonna do anything Star Wars related on May the 4th, but I, I'm excited because we're gonna talk about a topic that I'm excited about. Um, and the, the topic is gonna be how to build a winning culture in your team. So how to build a winning culture. And um, I, I'm gonna bring in a friend and I'm gonna interview him and talk about it that I think he's an expert on the in the field. Uh, Coach Joe Lombardi is gonna be with us next month and we're just gonna talk about what does it look like to build a winning culture. And we're gonna talk through leadership principles that he's applied through his years of coaching. And if you don't know Coach Lombardi, he's fantastic. Um, godly man, loves the Lord. And he's one of the winningest, he, he's leading one of the winningest basketball programs uh, in the NCAA over the last 10 years, uh, they've had a tremendous amount of success and uh, he's turned around a program. His first couple of years, they were rough because he inherited some challenges as I'm sure some of you guys understand if you're in a leadership role, you inherit some challenges sometimes and he's turned that around. So join us next month, May the 4th for Coach Lombardi as we're talking about how to build a winning culture on your team. Uh, Tonight, we're going to talk through uh, a topic that was requested. I got a message from someone and they said, Hey, would you ever be interested in talking through this topic? Uh, Basically, what do you do with toxic people? If you've got a bad team, what do you do? How do you handle this? What does it look like? And I will say, um, to start off, there are some differences that we have to look at, whether you, we'll get into this some, whether you inherit a team, if you're new to a team, uh, leading it, or whether you're leading, have been leading a team for a while and you've come to the realization, this team is not effective, this team is not doing what it was supposed to be doing, and maybe you can't even identify that. You just know something's wrong. It's not working the way it wants. Maybe, this is a very technical term, maybe you feel yucky, right? You're just like, ah, this team. Um, we've all been there at some point or another, and it's hard. And I think there are some principles we can talk through that are applicable, whether it's a person on a team or whether it seems like it's team-wide, it's everybody. Um, So we can drill down into some of that as we're talking this evening. Um, But but basically, I just wanna talk to to you about how how do you lead a bad team? If, If you've got a team that's unhealthy, if you've got a team that's toxic, what do you do? Uh, And if you've never been in that situation, good for you. Um, If you have or you're in it now, hopefully what we talk through this evening will help some. Um, So, I'm a list maker when it comes to things like this. If you like lists, that's good for you. If you don't, you're gonna be frustrated. Um, so let me just start with our list. Number one, the first thing you do when you're leading a bad team is you refuse to make an emotional decision. Don't make any rash choices because when you have the realization that something's wrong or broken, one of the first things you wanna do is, is fix it. I've gotta do something, I've gotta take action. And I would encourage you um, Before you do that, before you start pulling the trigger on things, you you need to think, and you need to think rationally. Um, Because if you're like a normal human, it's easy to look at our team or our business or our departments or organizations or whatever it is and have deep ownership of that. It is my team, it's my organization. And whenever there's a threat to that, it's easy to make that personal. It's a threat to me. It's a threat to my leadership. And so one of the first things you have to do is, is try to compartmentalize that, try to um, diffuse that emotion a little bit, and you have to decide I'm not going to make any rash decisions right now. Uh, so that's the first thing you do. You just divorce yourself of the emotion a little bit and go, okay, there's there's a problem, um, but I'm not going to solve the problem by just, shooting from the hip here. So number one, don't make an emotional decision. Uh, The second thing is this, get to know your team. This sounds really basic and really elementary, but it's funny how many people I've met through the years who are high capacity leaders, who are having problems with their team, but the reality is they don't even know their team. And part of the reason we do that at times is maybe you're a type A leader, very driven, you're going, 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 and the relational side of leadership is kind of left in the dust because it gets in the way of progress. Maybe you're a leader that you've led at a high level and the people you've led, uh, you've been vulnerable with them and you've been hurt by that. And as a result, you go, I'm never doing that again. Uh, I'm gonna keep these people at arm's length. I'm never going to be hurt by the people I'm leading, and so as a result, um, you 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 don't get to know your team. You don't get to know them. They are just cogs in a wheel. They're units of value for the organization, and that's it. And in some organizations, that might be able to work. Um, if you're in a sales organization, maybe you can have people that are just doing their jobs and just doing their thing and producing what they need to produce, and they're robots basically. Um, but most people I know want to be led well and want to be connected emotionally and relationally to the people in the organization and the people they are leading uh, or they're being led by. And so I would encourage you, get to know your team. So what does that look like? Well, um, you get to know them, but you help them get to know you as well. Um, and again, this feels really risky, doesn't it? Because it's like, this, this is work. We're not supposed to get to know each other and I don't, have to be, I don't need to be vulnerable with them. Um, but the truth is, We lead better um, when people know us, when people know our hearts, uh, good evening, Uh, when they know where we're coming from, that is helpful. But it also helps us lead people when we know them well, when we know their heart, when we know their context, we know what's going on with their lives, it helps us. So it's important to be vulnerable. Um, One of the most important things you can do for your team is to be vulnerable with them. And that doesn't mean you tell them every gory detail of your life. You have a fight with your spouse before you come to work and you get to work and you're like, oh, I can't believe. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But it's okay for your team to see that you don't have all the answers. It's okay for you to team to see that that you have problems and issues and challenges. Now that's not how we lead, we don't lead with all those problems and challenges and issues but it's important for them to see that we're human beings. Um, I can't tell you how many times um, leading this organization I've been vulnerable about things and again I'm not totally transparent about every issue of my life. But when I show a little bit of vulnerability with people, uh, it's amazing how that connects with people's hearts. And they go, okay, me too. I deal with that too. I struggle with that too. And it builds some camaraderie. It builds team. Um, And so when you do that, what happens is it gives them permission to do that as well. And it's amazing how relationships begin to form, and I'm not talking about deep friendships where you're texting each other before you go to sleep at night. You have a great night's sleep, I'll see you tomorrow, buddy. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Vacationing together, I'm not talking about those things, but I'm talking about a level of trust that is more than just business, that is more personal than that. And that only happens when we're willing to be vulnerable with each other. And when you're vulnerable as a leader, it allows your team to be vulnerable as well. It gives them permission. Um, A few months back, Here at the church, I I preached a message and in the message I mentioned the fact that I see a counselor on a regular basis. And in a lot of cultures and for a lot of people, that's taboo. It's like, you don't go see counselors, man. They're gonna mess you up. They're, you know, but I believe in it and it's helpful for me. And in my opinion is the best time to get out of the ditch is before you get in the ditch. And so I go see a counselor, not because I'm broken, but because I don't wanna be broken. Like, that's why I get my oil changed, right? Because I don't want my engine to seize up. If you wait till after the engine seizes up, it's too late. And so I just talked through this with our church and, and this is why I do this. And I had so many people come to me afterwards saying, thank you for sharing that. I've been in counseling and I've struggled with guilt or I felt condemned or people coming to me saying, I've thought about it, but I didn't know if I should. And hearing you say that, thank you so much. And so there's something powerful about being vulnerable with your team and about being vulnerable with the people you lead. And I would encourage you to do that because you're gonna get to know them and they're gonna get to know you better when that happens. third thing is this, how to lead a bad team. Third thing, assess the individual. So if your team is not functioning well, this is where you go, well, let's look at the individuals. There was a movie uh, that I, I, I love movies and there was a movie that, um, that I really enjoyed and it was intense um, and it was about a jazz, a jazz band at this preparatory school in New York and there was this very intense uh, music teacher and he would go through, and to my ears, the band sounded great, but in the movie, he just stopped and he said, nope, somebody's out of tune. Okay, you play, nope, you play, nope, you play. And he went down the line and everybody had to play the part until they weeded out who the problem was. And, If you've ever been in a band before, you've ever been a part of a choir, I was part of a choir in high school. Again, I'm being vulnerable with you guys. I'm just being honest. I was in a choir in high school. And when somebody was out of tune, somebody was off pitch, somebody was a little sharp or flat, that's what our music teacher would do. He'd go through the line and make you sing. And what he was doing is we gotta get to the problem because somebody doesn't know they're the problem. And the reality is on your team, sometimes an individual is a problem and they don't even know they're the problem. They think they're just sharing their thoughts, well, this is my truth, whatever it might be, but you've gotta assess the individuals. You've gotta figure out, hey, is this individual a problem or not? Is this person singing on pitch or are they flat or sharp? And so this is where you take a hard look at the individual and you ask yourself about their performance. And performance is generally something very easy to measure. No matter what your metric is in your organization, you can usually look at somebody's performance and figure it out pretty quickly. Are they a high performer, low performer? Mediocre, you can figure that out pretty quickly. That's an easy one to ask too. And every organization is different, but in an organization, it's not just about their performance. The secondary thing is about character because their performance is important, but if their character is lacking, um, it's going to show in their performance at some point. And so maybe your organization is different, but I I choose to believe that every organization should value character over performance. And when we talk about performance, I want you to think about um, like skill, because, well, I'm getting ahead a little bit, because skill can be taught, right? Um, Performance can be aided, but if somebody's just bad, if somebody is immoral, if somebody has low character, it's hard to coach them up. You know, if somebody is just not a good person, it's hard to help them be a better person. Um, So it's not just about performance, it's about their character as well. Um, So let me back up. Um, Yeah, I had to catch it back up in my notes. There's a difference between being uh, in a funk and being someone who's, lacks character. So you've all known people, maybe you, you worked with people, maybe you've had people on your teams that they were just in a bad season. Maybe they were going through something. Maybe they were going through a divorce, they are having problems at home and they just weren't themselves. That's different than somebody having bad character. Bad character is a plague. Uh, a bad season is something you can weather if it's the right person. Um, so you have to assess, is this just a bad season for this person or is this person <laughs> Just a bad person? Is this person just a wrong fit for our organization? Are they toxic? Um, and this is the thing toxic team members poison others, toxic things spread. Um, so, um, Marie Curie, she was the one who um, is like the the mother of nuclear medicine. And if you wanted to examine her documents that she used to study, even her cookbook, You would have to have special permission. You'd have to have a lead-lined suit because the things she touched are all radioactive. Uh, Because she had so much radioactivity on her as she performed these experiments, she had no idea that she was toxic. But what happened is she ended up contaminating everything she touched. And so now even today, um, if, if you wanna examine some of the documents she used and like I said, even her cookbook, it is all in lined boxes. You have to have special permission, wear special suits because that toxicity is still contaminating things even today and this is how contagious toxic individuals can be. So this is one of the reasons why it's important to do an individual assessment. And not just go, this team stinks, but what is going on with the individuals? Okay, this person's performing well. uh, Their character seems to be high. So are they the problem? And go through until you find the person, because one person can contaminate a whole team. Uh, There was an old saying, uh, I grew up in the South, um, one bad apple, Boils a whole bunch, right? And so this is the case on your teams. You can have one low performer, one person with a bad attitude, who starts to infect the people around them. And it's really important to do an individual assessment to assess the individual and then to figure out, um, to figure out what to do. Um, it's interesting. Speaking of toxicity, I was thinking about this. Uh, in Finland, they were they were adamantly opposed to. Uh, to storing uh, nuclear fuel rods in in the in their country, uh, they wanted them out and away. They didn't want the waste, the nuclear waste. They were afraid of what it would do and how it would contaminate. And um, today, they they have one of the largest. A private company has built one of the largest, for lack of a better way of saying this, toxic fuel dumps in the world in Finland. And the thing that turned the dial for them was because this company was like, hey, we will build you roads and schools and infrastructure and we will take care of you if you'll just let us build this gigantic hole and dump these fuel rods in it. And before long, they were like, that sounds pretty good. Um, And it's funny because, it's not funny, Um, this ground will be poisoned and they're taking precautions, but literally 100,000 years from now, they will still be dealing with the toxicity in the ground. Um, And again, this isn't a statement about nuclear power or anything like that. It's just funny that these people were adamantly against it and then there was something working in their favor and they weren't so opposed to it anymore. And this is what happens on our team sometimes. We can convince ourselves that a toxic person is not so bad because they're a high performer. Um, Oh, they're not, man, they're doing a great job. They're working really hard. They're putting in long hours. Look at what they're producing. And it's like, yeah, but they're also contaminating people against leadership and against, and so we have to take all these things into account when we're assessing the individual. Um, and really, we have to understand, this is shaping the culture of the organization or department. Um, if, if you allow a toxic person to go unchecked, they will determine the culture of your team. Um, you're not determining it anymore, they are. And so if you're leaving that unchecked, that's on you and not on them. Okay, number four. Um, t- again, talking about how to lead a bad team. Number one, don't make emotional decisions. Number two, get to know your team. Number three, assess the individual. Number four, identify what kind of team you really need to win. So, if you know what your what your goals are, what we want to accomplish as a team, that's where you go. You have to back up and go, what kind of team do we need to do that? Um, it's funny. I was talking to a pastor of a very large church a few weeks ago, and He said, Mel, one of the things we were talking about boards and structures of boards. And he said, one of the things I think is funny is a lot of people will say, what you want for a board are people who have led at really high levels, had really high influence on teams. Um, You know, those are the kind of people you want on your board. And he said, but what I've discovered in my life is a lot of times, all those people, like if you have a team full of those guys, they all want to be right and they all want to have their say. And he said, sometimes that creates more problems and they don't function well as a team. They look great as individuals, but they're bad working as a team, as a board for a church. And he said, so really you've got to think about the makeup. And I thought exactly about this, because if you think about any other team, a sports team, for instance, if you had All people who play the same position, we're in Steeler country, right? If you had all offensive guards, 11 of them on the field on offense, they probably wouldn't be very effective. They'd be great at defending the offensive line. They'd be terrible at the skill positions, right? Um, They couldn't get the ball downfield because they couldn't throw it very well. They wouldn't have the right guys to catch it. And so it really is about having the right team. So the question is, Do we have the right team, Is our team constituted the right way to help us win the way we wanna win? And that's where you have to ask these questions and decide what does it look like. So does your current team, the team you currently have, allow you to win? And if the answer is no, no matter how much you like them, you've gotta figure out how to make changes in order to see the win happen. Um, Because if you're not able to win, you've got a bad team no matter how much you like them, no matter how nice they are, none of that stuff matters if you're not winning, whatever win looks like for your organization. Um, So you need to ask yourself, what needs to change? Uh, Is it their skill? Is it their character? And we talked about that earlier. Um, I can train for skill, I can't train for character. So in our organization, we're gonna look for character first and then we're gonna look for skill secondary. I can help somebody be a better communicator. I can't help somebody love Jesus more or to be more moral or I can't do that. So if they don't bring that with them, I can't help them with it. And so in your organization, you've gotta figure out um, how much does character matter versus skill? Um, What does that look like for us? And this is the other thing I would say when it comes to identifying um, what kind of team you really need to win. I I wanna challenge you to set high standards. High standards. Uh, One of the problems we have so many times is we have teams that are underperforming is because we've set the bar so low that they're kind of doing what we need them to do, but they're not doing what we really want them to do. Man, we want to win, but our team is m- kind of the middle performing and not doing great. And I think it's important to set high standards. I think people want to be challenged to meet high standards. Um, and if we as leaders don't set high standards for our teams, most of our teams aren't gonna magically meet higher standards uh, especially in sales organizations. It's amazing how uh, in sales organizations um, we tend to, to meet the, the lowest rung necessary to make bonuses or you know, those kind of things. And so I would challenge you to set high standards for your team. And not only that, set high standards for yourself. So identify what kind of team you really need to win. Number five, this is where the fun part starts. Make some hard decisions. So after you've identified, hey, Uh, Here's a person that may be a problem. Hey, here's how they fit or don't fit on our team. This is where you have to make some hard decisions. Um, What am I gonna do about this now as the leader? Um, I don't know if you'll understand the way I say this. It looks better in writing and in my head, but I'll say it this way. Uh, No one is better than the wrong one. And I tell leaders all the time, If you've got a bad person on your team, I'd rather have no one in that position than a bad person. And you go, well, Mel, you don't understand. In our organization, we need, no, no, I get it. I get it, I understand. We have an organization with lots of volunteers every weekend that we need to, fit certain people in certain roles, but if we've got the, a wrong person in a role, it can do more damage to our organization than having nobody in that role at times. And so what you have to do is figure out, hey, am I just, am I just putting up with this person because they show up, because they come to work, or are they helping us win? And if they're not helping you win, and if you can't help them help you win, then you've got a hard decision to make. And really it's not hard, it's just hard for us to pull the trigger on. Um, And so this is where, again, you have to decide, uh, am I willing to let someone go? And for the record, you can fire volunteers. Did you know that? You can. It's hard because there's an old episode. Did anybody ever watch Seinfeld? Uh, Anybody? Okay, some of you are old like I am. Um, I love Seinfeld. And um, Kramer started going to this job every day but he wasn't getting paid. He was just showing up. It was mistaken identity and he was going to work and he was doing reports and he finally got fired and the boss said, I'm sorry, I'm gonna to have to let you go. And Kramer said, but I don't even work here. And he said, I know, that's what makes this so difficult. <laughs> and there are some people that you probably need to fire, even if they're volunteers, because they are hurting you more than they're helping you. Um, so you need to let some people go. Um, This is an old cliche, but cliches are cliches for a reason. Hire slow, fire quick. Hire slow, fire fast. Most leaders get ourselves into problems, uh, whether you're hiring people or looking for volunteers, when we do the opposite. Um, You know, we're we're looking for a position, a staff person, and we go, oh my gosh, this person's awesome. They can start now. They're in my budget. They seem great. They're hired. They're the person. And two weeks in, you're like, oh gosh, oh man, oh man. Oh, I don't know if we can dig out of this. Oh, I don't know if this is the right person. And it's like maybe I should have called their references. Maybe I should have talked to some more people. Maybe I should have gone a little slower. Um, and I tell people this all the time you don't get married on a first date, right? At, at least. If you're relatively intelligent, you don't get married on a first date. You get to know the person over time and you see all the issues, all the problems, and then you have to decide, is this person, is the good worth all the issues and the problems? And hopefully they are, right? In the marriage relationship, my wife put up with me, all my stuff, and she married me anyway. And this is the thing, whenever you're hiring somebody, you wanna see the, the bad before you're stuck with them. And then you can make a decision. Okay, does this person belong on our team or not? Can we put up with a bad because of the value they bring? Um, But you don't wanna be making that decision after they're hired. Um, And so I would say hire slower than you would like and fire faster than you would like. I tell people all the time, the first time you feel like somebody is the wrong person for your team, that's the time you need to fire them because I've never talked to anybody. I've never talked to any pastor and I talked to lots of pastors who will call me and say, hey, I need to talk through this. I've got this staff person and they're dealing with and, and, and what do you think you should do? Well, I probably made a mistake when I hired them. And I will tell them, if you think you should fire them, right now is the right time to fire them. Like, have you been talking to them? Do they know that they're not performing well? Well, no. Okay, you need to get on a performance plan. Let's talk through that. You don't need to surprise them with it. But because if you do, that's your fault. It's not their fault. So work with them. And then if they still don't get better, fire them, right? Like that's the right thing to do. You're hurting your organization. And so many times they'll be like, yeah, you're right. Six months later, well, I finally let that person go. And it was like, well, what do you think you should have done? I should have fired them when we talked about it the first time. Absolutely. I've never known anybody that was like, I think I should fire them. And then they're like, you know what? I'm so glad I didn't. They're the best employee ever. It hardly ever happens. Can it? Maybe, but rarely. And so this is where I would tell you, hire slower than you would like, fire faster than you would like. Um, This is the thing. Um, The way you deal with toxic people in your organization sends a message to the other people in your organization. Because it's not a mystery if somebody's an underperformer or showing up late to work or not pulling their weight. Other team members see it. And if you don't handle that well as a leader, you're telling them something. You're sending a message. You're marketing to your team about your leadership and about your values. So no matter what you say, you're telling them something else. And so I would encourage you, make sure your actions line up with your stated values. And that sounds really hard. But again, you gotta think about your whole team and not just this individual. Number six, um, coach, train, develop whoever's left. So after you've made some hard decisions and you've had to let somebody go or let a couple people go, this is where maybe we as leaders come back and say, hey, we haven't done as good a job. I haven't done as good a job as I needed to. This is where it's it's amazing. This goes back to that vulnerability. If we will be vulnerable with our people and, and go, listen, I screwed up. Man, I should have been doing more of this on the front end. This team hasn't performed like it should have. And that's on me as your leader. So here's what we're gonna do moving forward. Here's how we're gonna get better. And you start doing training and development. You start leading the way in those things. So you model the attitudes and behaviors that are required. You, you show them. You don't just say, here's what you guys need to do. Now go do it. You lead the way in that. You model it for them. And the second thing is um, celebrate behavior that aligns with the vision, This is one of the things we don't do many times and we don't do well. When somebody is doing, we catch people doing bad, we don't catch people doing good. And I would tell you, catch some people doing good. Celebrate when people are doing well publicly Um, in front of other people, In in a team meeting, you might go, man, guys, I wanna let you know, Aaron, you did so well with this project. Thank you so much for your attitude. I saw what you did. Man, that means so much to the team. Thank you for making us better. It's amazing how the rest of the team sees that and it's reinforcing for them the kind of behavior that we wanna see on a team. Um, but if all we do is punish bad behavior, we're reinforcing negative stimulus. So I would say reinforce positive stimulus, celebrate good behavior. Number seven, repeat yourself constantly. I wanna say it again. Repeat yourself constantly. Um, As a leader, you're gonna have to talk through vision. You're gonna have to talk through values. You're gonna have to talk through that stuff more than you want. You're gonna have to repeat it over and over and over and over again, not just for people that are onboarded, uh, new hires, but for people that are part of your team because vision leaks, they're gonna forget. And so you gotta talk through this stuff and talk through this stuff and talk through this stuff. So after you coach, train, and develop, it's not just a one-time thing. It is an ongoing process that we are sharing this stuff and talking and, and creating new culture and getting the the toxicity out of the water. Because once something is in the water, um, it is hard to get it out. And so you have to be persistent about it. You have to keep going and and you can't give up. Because you do something one time, it's not enough. You're gonna have to keep doing it over and over and over. And then the last thing is this, and this one's kind of tough. Number eight, um, you have to figure out if you are the problem. Because I've talked to some leaders that are like, man, my team stinks and as we start getting into it, it's like, ugh, you stink, right? I can't understand why they don't perform well. And it's like, well, because you communicate badly, you don't follow through, you don't follow up. Um, here's, here's a list of reasons why they're not performing well. It's because you're not performing well. And we don't want to hear that, and we don't create a lot of room for that. Um, in my experience, bad teams come from bad leaders, And so maybe you've inherited a team and they had a bad leader before you. And so that team is a product of a bad leader. Um, But if you've been part of a team or if you've been leading a team for more than, I'll be generous, 24 months, two years. If you've been leading a team for two years and it's still a bad, dysfunctional, toxic, underperforming team, you're the problem because maybe you've inherited some problems, but you've put up with the problems and you haven't fixed it, you haven't addressed it, you haven't adjusted. So at this point, you are the issue and you need to own that. And again, that's where we go back to what I said a minute ago. You can fix it, you can dig out, but it takes you being vulnerable, it takes you being honest and it takes you going to your team and going, hey guys, we've underperformed and it's my fault. I take that, I'm the one, here's what we're gonna do, here's how we're gonna get better moving forward. I heard somebody say one time, there are no bad teams, only bad leaders. It's amazing, uh, go back to sports uh, reference, it's amazing how good a coach Bill Belichick was whenever he had Tom Brady. He was a genius when he had Tom Brady, right? And then he couldn't win a game after Tom Brady left. Um, So good players make coaches look smarter, make team leaders look smarter, but good coaches make players look better too. Um, that works together. So it's not just about the team leader. You've gotta have the right people in place. Uh, but if the right people are in place and they've got a bad leader, they're gonna underperform. And so this is where we as leaders have to look and go, is my team underperforming because they're the wrong ones as I assess the team? Or or is there something in me that I'm leading them badly, leading them poorly? And that's what's creating dysfunction on our team. Um, all right, I think that wraps up some of my thoughts. And these are just, shotgunned guys. These are just, as I was thinking through my experience, these are just notes that I jotted down. Um, So this is not exhaustive. And I wouldn't even say this is gospel. This is just my experience. So I'm happy for some of you guys to push back. If you're like, nope, I disagree with that. Let's just talk through that. Um, We got folks watching online right now. And if you got questions, uh, leave a question in the comment field. We'd love to hear those. And for those of you in the room, if you got questions about what we just went through, let's talk through that. And um, if you've want to talk specifically about your situation or give it a little context, we'd love to hear and talk through that with you. So let's take some time and try to solve some problems together. Yep, Luke, hold on. We want to make sure everybody can hear you online as well. Can you hear me? Yeah.
2: All right, I got all kinds of questions. (laughs) The first one I'd start with is, how do you rule out yourself as being the
1: main problem? Um, I think... The worst thing we can do when we're trying to assess, do a self-assessment is to do a self-assessment. I think the best thing we can do is try to ask people around us uh, that are honest. And if there are people in your organization, even people you lead, that can give you an honest answer. Um, I think that's good. The problem is most of us won't because we're too prideful or we're too um, too arrogant and so we won't we'll just go, "I'm doing pretty well, I'm not great at this, but otherwise I'm doing well." So ask people around you, like in your in your case, uh, maybe there are people you work with, um, maybe they're clients of yours, but you've got a good enough relationship. you can ask them, "Hey, what are the weaknesses you see in my leadership? What are some things you see as an organization we're not doing well?" And they they can give you some feedback, and you can trace some of that back to you pretty easily, I think, if if you're if you've got an eye for that and you're looking for that. But if you just try to do it yourself, you're going to have gigantic blind spots.
2: Well, that that was a little bit, you know, because I have a relatively small organization. So it's, okay, well, who sees me work Mm -hmm. with my team often enough to be able to give me that level of feedback in order to rule it out? And if you're having trouble with your team, it seems counterintuitive to go to your team and ask them to some degree, right? Depending on the level of dysfunction you're trying to fix, Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes it's, you know, a thing we all are terrible at communication, but everything else is good. How do we fix this, right? Then you can go to your
1: team. But does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's hard. Um, It's not easy, but that's where you gotta find the honest people, the people that will give you honest, loving feedback. Um, And most people are 90% honest, not 100% honest. If that's gonna help you some, you need the 100%. You need somebody who's honest to the last 10%. That's where you're gonna improve. That's where you're gonna get better. And so again, it might be somebody outside the organization who sees different things. Like your bookkeeper, uh, they don't work for you. I mean, they work for you, you're paying them, but they're not in the office. And so, I mean, maybe you're asking them, hey, what are some practices you see that we need to be getting better at? What are some things I'm not doing well as a leader? Um, And and I don't don't know if this helps you. I, I think I've said this before. Every time I bring in a guest speaker, anything, I will always ask them, what do I need to be doing better? What did you see in me that I need to improve on? Uh, if they're going to be in one of our services, I'll ask them, like, hey, what did you see that we need to fix? What did you see that we need to do differently? And they will typically give good, honest feedback um, because they want us to get better. And so I think just asking those questions to as many people as you can that you trust will help. To,
2: can, if I can piggyback off that slightly, to go to, a like, for example, a client that you've had for a long time. Um, you wouldn't be worried about a bot. I mean, they're obviously hiring you over and over again. Yeah. Right. So for them, you're doing something right. Right. So would there be, I guess, I guess, I guess I wouldn't hard be hard to talk to them though. No, I,
1: cause I think it goes back to vulnerability if you're vulnerable and go, man, we wanna get better. Like, we, we want our organization to be better. Man, you've been such a great client for us. Um, would you mind giving me some feedback? And maybe for somebody like that, maybe it's an email. You send them an email. Hey, here's a couple of questions. Would you mind answering a couple questions? And we'll give you 10% off our next service or, you know, something like that that gives them the opportunity to give you some feedback, but it's not face-to-face going, yeah, you're bad at this and this and this. You know what I mean? Maybe that would help. Um, but I, I think... I think those things build credibility. It doesn't hurt credibility. Because when somebody sees, man, this, these guys want to get better and they trust me enough to hear my voice, I think it, it doesn't hurt you with a client. Good question. <laughs> Give the rest of the class a chance.
3: Part of, I guess, assessing your team might mean finding out that you have some toxic people on your team how do you deal with like like a toxic personality where you can't even really tell what's truth and what's not like you're trying to assess like what they're doing their performance but you can't even figure out which stories are are
1: -hmm. real and which aren't Uh, so, the implications of that are different in your organization than they are in my organization, right Because if somebody who is um, has problems telling the truth at our church, that 's more significant to me. Um, Then it might be in your organization. Somebody's lying about their personal life or they're just being deceitful about some things that aren't hurting the bottom line necessarily, but it's just creating a dysfunction on the team. And that's where I might have a conversation with HR, depending on what the culture is in your organization. I might have a conversation with them and go, hey, here's what has been happening. And if it's somebody that you are leading, that's where I would document it. Even if it's not formal documentation, um, like, in their personnel file, that's where I would document it and keep track. Hey, we talked about this here and I know for sure that's not true because of this. You know, like I would keep track of those things so that you're building a case so if it ever comes to it, you can say, here's the evidence, here's what I've seen and it's not just based on feeling like, well, I feel like they haven't done a great job or I feel like they've kind of been dishonest and that just helps you build the case a little bit. But it's harder uh, in in... Organizations that are more just about the bottom line. Because if they're producing and they're doing their job, but they're just kind of a terrible person, that you're just kind of stuck. Um, especially if there are things in place where you don't have the ability to let somebody go because they don't get along with people very well, or you know. So yeah, you're kind of stuck. But I think HR is there to help be an advocate and help help you navigate that. That's a good question. What else? Any questions online? None yet. Okay. And going back, it looks like we're going back to the Luke well. Okay. So
2: if you go through the period of asking questions and self-reflection and bringing in outside people to help you assess yourself, right? Yep. And most of us are going to find out you're doing some things poorly and some things well, right? That's mm-hmm. I'm going to assume your average human being does some good, some bad, yeah. to different degrees. So you find out that <clears> – <throat> hang on, let me back up. So if, if your team in general – I don't know how to ask this question. So for, we go through a lot of turnover,
1: mm-hmm.
2: but our team – is continuously performing well based on reviews we get from clients yep. and I don't mean what you just said I mean just in
1: general hey you guys yep. are great cool they're you know. they're satisfied with the product right yeah um, and, and I, will, I mean this is a service they're in the service industry so they're serving people on a regular basis right performing services for them right yeah. so when I say product right it's the service performed
2: for them right yeah um, but we're constantly going through turnover hmm and so for my industry I I hear that a lot from lots of people all over the country. Yeah. But it's exhausting, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so even if the product we're, perform- we're giving is good, I still feel like we're failing in the sense of retention. So I guess the the, the kind of long way to ask, if you're performing well in some areas and not in others, um, how do you try to rectify that? Because if there is a problem in, in your organization, it's not so broad that it causes the team to suffer, but it does at yeah. the same time. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry. yeah. so
1: <laughs> this is where I would back up and say, okay, is retention the real issue? Um, because right. if it's if it's industry-wide, that's where I might go. Is my retention worse than my competitors, better than my competitors, or about the same? Because Because um, retention is not a problem you'll ever fix, right, unless you start paying them astronomical wages, crazy amounts that you can't afford, it'll bankrupt your company. So so you can't fix that. You're just gonna have to manage that to some degree. But what you can ask yourself is, is my retention issue a symptom of bad leadership? That, or is, that's what I'm getting at. is there a cultural issue that's causing people to flee our organization? And so I would start with, are we losing people at a greater rate than other organizations are? Because if you're not If it's the industry standard, then maybe you can still fix some things, try to shore that up. But to me, then that helps you go, okay, this isn't, there's not a glaring issue that I'm missing. And maybe you look and go, hey, our retention's actually better than a lot of our competitors. So we're we're doing okay. But I will tell you, um, like at Summit Church, I'm just being transparent. We do not pay our teams, anybody in our organization at the top of the scale. We don't do not. Um, because we can't afford to but what I have to do is make sure that the culture is healthy the culture strong that if I' I can't keep them because of we're paying them the, the best I can keep our team because our culture is healthy and um, and vision is strong if I can do those two things um, help Tell people, hey, here's where we're going and here's the part you're playing in it. Um, Hey, the the relationships are healthy and strong and we're gonna treat you well. We're gonna do our best to take care of you. Like those are the things that create a healthy culture. So if I can do those things, I don't necessarily need to pay at the top of the scale in order to retain people. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's a little bit what I'm getting at too. It's like, okay, if your
2: overall performance is well, but you're still like, it's how do you identify what, Part of that, okay. Yeah, just to say your culture is not necessarily good doesn't necessarily get you really any closer to the specific reason why, yeah. You know what I mean? Well,
1: and it's yeah, and I think every industry is different. And I think, honestly, Luke, with your industry, there's some of that you're just gonna have to live with. I mean, as far as like, okay, I'm gonna have a certain amount of people every year, you know, I'm always gonna be looking for people to do this role, it doesn't seem just to be what the case. we do. <laughs> Yeah.
2: It's very tiring. Yeah,
1: I totally get that. But that, I would go back and start looking at your industry and maybe talking to some competitors and just saying, hey, what are, what are you seeing with retention? What are you seeing with turnover? You know, can you help me, you know? And I know that might be sticky, it might be hard to do, but I would have the, some of those conversations because I think that'll enlighten you some. Anybody have any feedback on that? Any thoughts? I don't mean to dominate that. I was just... Good questions.
4: Yeah, I think you hit it on the head with there's some industries, like in my world, it's reworks, right? Mm -hmm. So you you can't plan on rework. You don't want to plan on rework. And so you're always going to have a lot of turnover because people aren't going to go with the inconsistencies. Um, So I think the retention is not the issue, but you've got to set up systems so that you can plug in any person off the street so that they can come in and, you know, kind of the McDonald's way of here's how you wash the window. And Mm -hmm. so anybody that does it will do it the same way.
1: Yeah, that's really good. It's good. Just fire TJ so I can have him back. (laughs) Michael, you haven't answered, I asked any questions for that. I know, it's so weird. I feel Um, weird. Yeah, usually. Very talkative room tonight. Yeah.
0: So I'll put this in a secular context first and then I'll change it to a church context. What if you have a salesperson or an engineer who is like head and shoulders better than his or her peers, but is a bad leader? And like in a church context, what if you have someone who's like a silver tongue preacher or a really dynamic worship leader, but is not, doesn't have leadership skills. What do you do with that person?
1: I uh, personally, I would limit their leadership. Um, And now here's the challenge. In certain organizations, you can let people function in roles without giving them leadership positions or even even, um, influence. Um, Because if you might have a salesperson who never leads anybody else, but they are killing it in their region or whatever it is. That's great. Let them do what they do well and don't give them other roles. Um, One of the problems in churches is a lot of times we give leadership roles to people who are good communicators. And that's not always the case because I don't know a lot of people that are great communicators that are really good leaders too. There's a lot of really good leaders that are not great communicators. Um, and so those need to be the people that are leading, but they not, might not necessarily be the best person to be doing the, the preaching or the speaking. And so that's where I think it's healthy for churches to kind of um, oh, divide up some of those things and rethink some of the roles and traditional roles in churches, things like that. But I think in, in a lot of contexts, it's easier to go, hey, this person's great, they're, they're a high performer, but they're not the right person to be leading a team, I think it's easier in the secular world to, to line out some of those, depending on the context.
0: You said, I think I heard this correctly, that um, you know lots of good communicators who are not good leaders. And mm-hmm. I, that's interesting to me. Could you expand on that? Like, is that because the, the excellent communicator is being required to preach so often because that's his skill set? Or like what, what, yeah. what causes that? So it's
1: not just in the church world. Uh, it's is, it is almost in any, any industry. Uh, somebody who is excellent at verbal communication is going to advance further in an organization, period. It is statistically true. You see this over and over and over. And think about your organizations. Uh, once you get to know some of the people that are in the C-suite or some of the people that are upper middle management, whatever it is, um, it's amazing. It's <laughs> gonna sound horrible. How unintelligent they are. And you're like, how did they get there? And it's because they are good communicators. They And maybe they're not communicating well, if that makes sense, but they're communicating good. So like they can speak really well, but maybe they're not communicating what they need to to their teams or whatever it might be. But we fall into this trap that people who communicate well, I mean, think about politics for crying out loud. Um, people who are articulate and communicate well, they can, they can tell a narrative, a story, they can connect with our hearts. Those are people getting elected. Uh, it is not necessarily the person who's going to help our nation the best or because uh, we love stories. Let me take it a step further. Um, this is, <laughs> we have a bias against people who aren't good verbal communicators. And again, we have a bias against people who aren't, um, as physically attractive. And so these are natural biases we have that, that limit people that are really good leaders that don't get positions because we have weird biases built into us um, that we go, oh, well, they, they talk well, so they, no, like, that's not the case at all. So I think it's a, it can cause a problem in secular organizations and churches and all kinds of things because we just have these built-in biases.
0: Christopher. Did I, did I go uh, too
1: far with that? Is that okay? Does that make no, sense? No, I thought that was good. Yeah.
0: Uh, Christopher Held online asks Chris! What if you have someone in management who won't embrace changes that need to happen to help the organization be healthier? It would also be difficult to find someone in the industry to replace this person. Do you keep trying or do you just live with them?
1: <sighs> That's a good question. Anybody have feedback on that? Thoughts on that? That's a good question. Yeah, and I don't know if that person is is above you on the flow chart or below you. I'm I'm assuming, it sounds like what Chris was saying is they were maybe below you on the flow chart, but they're skilled enough and hard enough to replace that you may wanna leave them. So that's, yeah, hold on one second, Dave. Let me get the mic to you.
4: This isn't very concrete, but do your best to try to find a way to make that individual think it was their idea. Yeah. Let them run with it, I mean way that you kind of help yeah. lead them to f- feeling like, oh yeah, this was my plan and my idea all along, yeah. they'll be a lot more likely to get on board
1: with it. Yeah, like reverse psychology with your kids, like, you, you guys, you guys don't want to go to bed yet, and you're like, I do want to go to bed, you, you okay, I guess you could, no. But no, I get that, I think. I mean, I, I had to figure out things like that whenever,
4: you. Know, I jumped into a family business when I was done with school, and I was now in charge of men that had been working there longer than I had been alive. So, you know, that was one mm-hmm. of the things that I had to do, was just figure out, you know, the, the key people that I needed to really embrace some of the the, the vision that I had for changes. Mm-hmm. I had to kind of work with them. It, the, the, the problem is not that's not a fast process. It, it took not. time, but, you know, just find ways to plant seeds of that vision in, their minds and then eventually you know it did come to fruition sometimes where they felt like wow i you know they owned that idea yeah i was happy to let them take the credit
1: you know and and i think a good way of doing that is asking questions um you know, just asking the right questions. Man, what do you think about our organization? You know, what could we do if we shifted? Or what would we need to do to get here? I know you love this organization. I know you love our company. But man, I would, wouldn't would you love to see it? I would, I would too. What do you think we need to do to get there? What do we need to adjust? What do we need to change? And I think asking those kind of questions, inviting that, um, even if it takes a little bit of you going, well, hey, I don't know if we're going to do that, but I think we should do this. At least it invites some feedback where it feels like I've been heard and it's not just we're doing this and you better suck it up because this is where we're going. Uh, I think that helps. But yeah, I think that's really wise. Good job.
2: Um, I've noticed that of, often, not always, but often one of two things is happening. You think you've explained the idea to them well mm-hmm. and you haven't, Yeah, right? In my organization, I tell, I tell people to sell me on the idea. Right. Don't give me the idea. Sell me the idea. Mm -hmm. Right. Talk me through the whole thing if you want me to go with it. Otherwise, you're just handing me a piece of an idea and telling me to go to work. Right. Now, depending on where you are on the ladder, so to speak, that might be a little bit different. Um, But, you know, even when I'm explaining it to my guys, sometimes I just feel like I explained it. I can't believe they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And they're all like, what did he just say? I don't understand. Yeah. So sometimes you just need to make sure. Yeah that they really actually heard you, right? And the other thing that i found is at least on my more management levels is make sure they that we all have a clear understanding that if we're on, on a certain level, once we walk out of the room, this is what we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And at that point, once you walk out of the room, the disagreement of it is over, mm-hmm. right? Work it out, hear them out, talk about it, kick all the ideas around. And once you've refined it, this is what we're doing now and make sure they understand that. Otherwise it could get negative really fast. Yeah. So those
1: are two things I've noticed. That's good. Dave. Yeah. We can go back over here. We're good. Michael needs the exercise.
4: (laughs) Okay. uh, So back to the, uh, you know, changes that need to be made. Um, try asking yourself, why does that matter? Why is that important? About four or five times. Like, well, I, f- I feel like we need to make this change. Well, why do we really need to make that change? And then you'll mm-hmm. come up with a reason. Well, why is that important? Why does that matter? you come up with another, re- if you're able to get through about four or five uh, iterations of doing that, you- you're going to have a much better chance of being able to articulate yeah. the change that needs to be-, to be made and some real reasons it'll be a lot easier to do, like you're saying, sell that idea Mm -hmm. and get some buy-in from people. It'll be a lot more clear.
1: Well, and change is a lot more palatable when it's tied to clear vision. And and that's, I mean, that's essentially what you're saying. Um, So any organization, people are resistant to change, but if you can tie it back to, here's how we're better as an organization. Here's how we'll sell more widgets. Here's how we'll get more clients. Here's how we'll, you know, if we just... Yeah, and this is how it helps you. And so this is why it's good for all of us if we do this. Um, That makes it so much easier. It doesn't mean people are gonna like it because even in our organization, I can be like, here's what we're gonna do and we're gonna see more people saved, which is like why we exist, right? Um, And there's still people that are like, yeah, but we're not gonna do it the way I want to. It's like, but here's the win. And they're like, yeah, but... So you're always gonna have that. But it does make it a little more palatable. It, it's harder to argue when we can tie back to the vision and the win, so that's good. Still got a few more minutes, questions, comments. Going back to Luke, did somebody, Darren? did you raise your hand? We'll go back to Aaron. Luke's, Luke's dominating the mic time tonight. <laughs> I was just gonna say, if
3: you haven't read the book yet, uh, Who Moved My Cheese? Uh-huh. Like, is it really, like, under, like, if you have a leader that doesn't wanna change, it's a super short book you can Mm -hmm. read it in an hour and it personifies the different reasons why people don't want to change Mm
1: -hmm.
3: and if you don't understand why somebody doesn't want to change it's hard to help them walk through that process yeah for
1: sure what else we got a few more minutes Luke, you're just going to keep them coming? (laughs) We can talk afterwards, too, if we need to, so I'm good with that. My wife thought this was a good question, too. Okay. So
2: um, how do you walk through with a person? Um, I think someone else might have said it or they kind of touched on it closely. They might be a good salesman, for example, for Mm -hmm. the record. I am not talking about my salesman, okay, (laughs) just as an example just because they might be a good salesman doesn't make them a good manager of salesmen. Right. So for example, how would you work through, basically pulling them back out of that role, Mm -hmm. right? And, or the same kind of idea would be, how would you manage hiring someone new to be placed? It's kind of a double question, I guess. Um, Basically how do you work through a demotion? If somebody was in a role, didn't succeed in that role, but they had succeeded in the role right before that. Yeah. You don't want to get rid of them necessarily because they're still a good performer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. uh, We've talked about this before. One of the biggest mistakes sales organizations make is promote good salespeople into manager positions because a lot of times they're terrible managers, but they're great at sales. What made them good at sales sometimes is what undermines their leadership as managers. And so I think just being honest with them, there's not an easy solution. I think being honest with them and saying, hey, you are far more valuable to this organization as a salesperson. Um, you're gonna help us more. And and in a lot of organizations, um, a, a, high, a, a high-performing salesperson can actually make more than the people that is, are overseeing them, managing them, uh, with, you know, with bonuses and incentives and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying you change the incentive structure, but maybe you think about it. Maybe you go, hey, and you know what? We're gonna move you back into this position because you're such a good salesperson. And we're gonna tweak this a little bit so that you can actually, if you perform well, it's actually gonna you know, help you make a little more money. And I don't know if you could do that, but that's just an idea, that's a thought. Well- To, I used the word sales and I shouldn't have.
2: So I so
1: you lied to um, me. Misspoke.
2: Um, Okay. I was. It's more general than that. Um, We had a guy who was a good worker, who I tried to train up to be a team leader. Okay. And it was too early. Yeah. Right. I still think this person. I mean, he's since moved on from our company, but I still think this person is going to end up being a good team leader Mm -hmm. someday. But I had put him in that role too soon, and mm-hmm. pulled him back out of it, and then you yeah. run the risk of right egos and that sort of thing. Um, and it's like, okay, so how do you kind of work through that with them? Because you still value them as a person and as an employee. Mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes you bump somebody up, and then or or the same. The flip side is, you may hire someone over them also. Yeah. Right. And the role that they were in isn't the role that's necessary anymore because you may have found someone with more experience. It's kind of.
1: Yeah. So so the right answer is to be very honest with them. Because what we tend to do is things like what you described where we go, okay, we're not going to move them, but we're going to move somebody else into this role and so we're going to keep paying them at this role cuz we don't want to have a hard conversation, but we're going to move somebody else in here so now I'm paying even more money to people that aren't doing what I need them to do just because I'm unwilling to have a hard conversation with them. And And you may lose them, but again, that's a good leadership lesson for you to go, okay, I'm gonna, just like we hire slow and fire fast, I would say promote slow too. Um, Let them earn it before you just go, man, I see it in them, let's put them in that position, hopefully they'll earn it. Um, That might work sometimes, but I would rather see them perform and build and whatever they're gonna do. You know, whatever I need them to do in that role, I wanna see them do that to some degree before they do it. So... But, I think that's where you go, okay, lesson learned, and you own it, you talk to them. Man, I still believe this is right for you. It's just not the right timing, and that's my fault. That comes back on me. But, man, I love you, and I believe in you. And if you can't take this, you know this change, then i'm gonna I'm gonna help you find something else. If you feel like you've got a lead of our organization, I get that. i'm and I'm sorry, that's my fault. But I think you fall on your sword and own it, and I think that's probably the most honorable thing to do. Because I've been in positions where, I had somebody say, hey, we put you in this position and you didn't perform. It was like, wow, thank you very much. That's so exciting. Like, uh, But it was really, he was trying to cover himself. And anyway, so I think the best thing to do is just to go, you know what? I made a mistake. I shouldn't have put you in that position. That was on me. And I see this and I still see this. and I still believe this for you, but the timing's wrong. So that's good. Hey, it's eight o'clock. So I always wanna be... Uh, be right on time with us. We start at seven, we're over at eight. So I wanna say thank you guys for joining us for Leadership Night. Let me pray over you before we dismissed and then we'll cut you guys loose. Lord, thank you so much for what you've done. I thank you for the group of people that are here tonight. I thank you for those that are watching and listening online. I pray that as we are finishing up, Lord, you would work in our lives, you would grow our leadership and you would help us be the kind of influence we need to be and that is gonna help us and help our families and help our teams win. So God, have your way with us. Be glorified through us in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thanks for joining us for Leadership Night. Have a wonderful evening. And don't forget, if you'd like a copy of the notes from tonight, my notes, uh, sign in on the uh, sign-in sheet as it's coming around, put your email in. If you're watching online and you like the notes, uh, just comment and give us your email and we'll make sure we get those to you guys. God bless you.